Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at the dramatic events in France, where riots on the streets of Paris and other cities have forced President Emmanuel Macron to withdraw fuel tax rises and potentially to make even deeper changes to his reformist agenda. Joining me on the line from Paris is our correspondent there, Harriet Agnew, and here in the studio is Ben Hall, our Europe editor. Harriet, Macron's made these concessions now. Do you think that's it, or is the gilet jaune sort of manifestation and demonstrations likely to continue? I think it's a bit hard to tell at this stage, but certainly we should know more this weekend when there are some protests that are planning to take place. And we'll know more then the sort of scale and breadth of the protests that they managed to galvanise. I think the other interesting thing that happened this morning was that a government spokesman opened the door to reinstating the wealth tax, which would be a very symbolic move because it would reverse one of Macron's most prominent reforms. And, I mean, how shaken is the Macron government and ours, if I can put it this way, sort of bourgeois Paris? Because I wasn't there, but the television pictures were pretty dramatic. I think they're pretty shaken. There were some iconic French monuments like the Arc de Triomphe, which were graffitied on the weekend. There were burning cars all over Paris. There were some very violent protests and clashes between the protesters and the police. And I think some of these protests took quite a personal nature against Macron as well. And Ben, it looks as though, even though there was violence involved, that these are popular protests, at least to judge by the opinion polls, they're getting something like 80% support. Correct. The opinion polls do suggest that a wide majority of the French public back the Gilets Jaunes anti-government protests and many of the things that they stand for. And there was one opinion poll taken after Saturday's violence, which suggested that they still retain that kind of popular support. So... This is a double problem for Macron. He's dealing with a very amorphous protest movement that doesn't really have a structure or leadership. And yet with enormously ambitious kind of demands for change in France, many of which are contradictory. But at the same time, all of this seems to enjoy quite a wide level of support. It's a bit of a nightmarish kind of uh, problem to have to deal with. Yeah. And you say the demands are contradictory or some of them are. What, as far as we can tell, do the Gilets jaunes stand for? I mean, given that it doesn't really seem to have leadership. Well, it was born out of a kind of classic motorists campaign against the rising cost of diesel. And actually, even before that, a very unpopular reduction in the speed limit on country roads, which already galvanised quite a lot of protests out there in the country. But it's morphed into something much bigger. It's essentially a revolt against the burden of taxation, which in France is the highest in the EU. It's a revolt against urban elites who seem to be out of touch with rural voters and people in semi-rural areas who are sort of struggling to make ends meet. And it's a rejection of the sort of Macron method, very centralised power, Macron taking all the decisions, and now Macron is paying the price for that. And Harriet, it's also a repetition of a well-established pattern that we've seen in France for maybe 20 years and more, where you have reformist governments come in and then having to back down in the face of pressure from the streets. I think it was Juppé was 1995 and there have been others. It looked like Macron had broken that pattern, but maybe the pattern's broken him. 
I think it's important to note that Macron isn't backing down in the face of structural reforms. They're still keeping the targets for the ecological transition away from fossil fuels towards renewable energy. But yes, it is symbolic because it's the first time during his presidency that he's sort of backed down in the face of protests from the streets. And it doesn't bode that well, given that he's got some quite contentious reforms still to come, such as things like the benefits for pensioners and also trying to slash France's very bloated civil service. Yes, I mean, those sound like things that he would be brave or foolhardy to press ahead with now, Ben. Well, I think Harriet is right. The government clearly are holding to the line that just because they've backtracked on this one tax increase doesn't mean that they are backing away from their bigger reform programme. And I imagine Macron will try and press ahead with the pension reforms and changes to the unemployment insurance system because they may take the calculation that there are actually not going to be great losers from these rather technical reforms. And in any case, they probably won't be the people who are wearing yellow vests. What seems to me to be interesting, assuming Macron can get over this crisis and reassert law and order and diffuse this campaign, is whether there's any way he can actually use it to his advantage, which is this is a revolt against high taxation. Macron wants to reduce taxation in France. He needs to scale back the size of the state and modernise public services. Can he use this sort of public disgust to try and do that? I think the problem is, of course, that at the same time as wanting tax cuts, these guys also want lots of other things, more public services in rural areas, you know, higher pensions, etc, etc. It's going to be incredibly difficult to reconcile all of this. Yeah, I mean, do you think, Harriet, these things are reconcilable? Because as Ben says, they're two things that they want. They want a less intrusive state and lower taxes, but also a state that provides. I think it's very difficult to reconcile the two things. And I think what's worrying as well is a lot of the complaints that people have over things like higher taxation, lower purchasing power. These aren't new things. The fracture between the cities and a lot of provincial France, again, this isn't new. All of this has been going on for years. But I think it's important that it's sort of crystallising now and it's crystallising against Macron. I went out to sort of east of France earlier this week and spoke to some people in the rural areas. And two things I really picked up was, one, this kind of frustration with Macron's governing style, that he looks down on people and that he treats them like idiots. And the other, this feeling that he made them dream and now they haven't seen a a change in their ordinary lives. Mm. And Ben, you mentioned the wealth tax cuts. Do you think that in a sense Macron was trying to pursue an agenda which is internally coherent, but that the French aren't attracted to the idea that he would attract a lot of financial services business from Britain at the time of Brexit, that you'd get a kind of London-style renaissance in Paris. But if the price of that is allowing the ultra-rich to do very well, maybe people won't buy it. Yes, you can understand the logic of what he was trying to do, which was encourage wealthy people to come back to France, people to invest in France, people to own and run and expand their businesses in France. This is all part of his attempt to reconcile the French with sort of wealth creation. But I think it's backfired spectacularly. And I think even his closest allies, well, his closest allies readily admit now that it was a big mistake to have scrapped the wealth tax as one of your first tax measures, but not introduce tax cuts for ordinary households till at least a year afterwards. And I think he is now definitely paying the price for this perception that he is a president for the wealthy and not for ordinary French people. And do you think maybe there's a tiny bit of justice in that in the sense that the people who would have been in his ear when he came in as president would have been former colleagues of his who were bankers who were saying, you know, you've got to do something about the wealth tax, but the little guy who's worrying about the kind of municipal tax would have been less... 
prominent. Yes, I think that's probably fair. And also, to be fair to Macron, it did work in the sense that business confidence has been extremely high, investments returning to France. These things would pay off eventually. The trouble is, of course, there's been this eruption of public anger much earlier than anybody had anticipated. And I think there's also a frustration by people that when Macron talks about the environment and the impact of global warming and the sort of end of the world imperative to move towards renewable energy, for a lot of people that would be a luxury because, you know, they're thinking of the end of the month rather than the end of the world. And so, Harriet, obviously a lot of this, one of its defining features is its leaderless nature. But at some point, this has to find an expression in conventional politics. We have elections and so on. After Macron defeated Marine Le Pen, it seemed like the far right was really in trouble in France. Do you think they're going to be the ones who benefit from this? Or could it be the far left and Mélenchon or both? I think both could benefit. I think even before these Gilets jaunes protests, we saw that the far right were making progress in the polls, notably in the European elections. And I think it's also important to remember that Macron doesn't have a strong power base. You know, he was never a locally elected politician. And because of the two-round system in France, many people voted for him in the second round because he wasn't Le Pen rather than because he was Macron and they believed in his policies. So, Ben, there were such high hopes attached to Macron, as you said, not just in France, but around Europe and indeed among people in the world who are anxious about Donald Trump and all that he represented. Are those hopes in the process of being dashed, I guess, is my final question. Undoubtedly, his image has been very badly damaged. He's no longer the man of the moment, the man with the energy and the momentum. But I wouldn't write him off yet. And just to come back to your last question, the interesting thing in a way is how the far left and the far right have not been able to exploit this movement. It's a sort of apolitical movement, even if many of the things that the protesters want are kind of on the agendas of these more extremist parties. But I think what the movement has shown is the weakness of the opposition to Macron, as well as the weakness of Mr. Macron and his whole approach to power up till now at the same time. Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there for now. But it sounds like a topic we will inevitably return to in the coming year. So thank you very much for the moment to Ben Horn here in London, to Harriet Agnew in Paris. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye.